Thank you for joining the Element Church Podcast, where we exist to guide people to experience life to its fullest, connect into meaningful relationships, and make a lasting impact. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope this message inspires and strengthens your faith. Hey, good morning. I missed you last week. Uh, thank you for praying. A number of you prayed for me. I had a terribly sore throat to where I could uh, barely speak, and uh, we managed to get one 23-minute sermon on a video, and so uh, thanks to Tim and uh, others who helped that happen. A uh, couple things going on this morning. Uh, number one, at the end of this uh, sermon, I have some very exciting news to share with you about a lead pastor search, and uh, so we look forward to that. Also, last week I preached about hiding and how that's one of the coping mechanisms we use, one of the most significant books in my life. I've got one, one shelf of books where I just put the books that have changed my life, and one of the most significant books in my life is John Townsend's book, Hiding from Love, and they sold out of this uh, last week. And they've ordered in some more. They have some more back there. So if you didn't have a chance to get one, uh, this this book was life-changing for me about hiding and coming out of the shadows. And so today we're going to talk about fatalism. Fatalism means what difference would it make? It's really a declaration that God's disappeared And it's not a response that would be that difficult for us to get to in our day. We look at the the wave of pandemic crises that have occurred in all through the world, the economic chaos, the cultural conflicts, the wars that are going on, and we could easily, easily come to a place where our response is just a shrug of the shoulders. One of my favorite sayings is, no matter how cynical I get, I just can't keep up. It's that sense that I could try to do something, but how is it going to change anything? Now, we might think that this is, a, this is an attitude or a disposition of people who don't know the Lord, but actually we find this throughout Scripture as well. When Gideon was thrashing out grain in the wine press, and the Lord said, what are you doing here? One of the declarations of Gideon is God has abandoned us. The Midianites have more power. I'm from the smallest family. There's nothing I can do. I might as well just get some grain so I can feed my family. When Job was going through physical suffering and relational calamity, his wife came to him and said, well, Job, are you still going to maintain your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? Thank you, honey. You know, I mean, not, not, not elevated advice. Elijah had just won a great victory on Mount Carmel. When he got back to the city, Jezebel was still threatening his life. The Bible says he was afraid and he ran. And when he got out in the desert all by himself, what did he say to God? He says, Lord, there's no point. Take my life. That's what he said. Take my life. I just can't go on. There were two disciples of Jesus walking on the road to Emmaus. Jesus had died on the cross. 
A man appeared to them. They didn't recognize him as the resurrected Christ. And the man asked them what they were doing, and they were really just talking about the events that had just transpired. And they said, we, we thought Jesus was the Messiah. And then they used this phrase, we had hoped. We had hoped. Before there were a non-believer or a believer, when things cascade in on us until it just doesn't seem it's going to stop, it's one tsunami after another, it's easy for us to finally get to a place of fatalism. What's the point? Well, there's a church in the book of Revelation that can relate to that. It's called the Church of Smyrna. And they lived in oppressive, oppressive times. And we're going to look at how they sustained themselves and how God sustained them in the midst of such events. We read about it in Revelation chapter 2. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who was the first and the last who died and came back to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty Yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. But be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown." Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious and will not be hurt at all. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. What was it like to live in the jaws of the lion? Smyrna was a wealthy city. It was a large city. It was a seaport city. It was a city famous for education, particularly learning in the sciences and medicine. It had always sided with the Caesars of Rome, and so it had become a free city with a good reputation in the Roman Empire. It was a city famous for worshiping other gods. There was a street in the city called the Golden Street, and on one end of the street was a great temple to Sybil, and the other end of the street was a temple to the god Zeus. And then lining the streets were statues and temples worshiping various other gods. It was the center of emperor worship. It was the first center city to build a temple to the honor of Caesar Tiberius and to worship Tiberius in that temple. And then following Tiberius came Domitian, who required of everyone that every year they burn incense at an altar and declare that Domitian is Lord, Caesar is Lord. And then they would get a certificate. But the Christians wouldn't do it. They wouldn't declare Caesar was Lord. Even though it was a political statement, not really a religious one, they would only say that Jesus was Lord. And so they were put under oppression. It was also the center of a large Jewish population. 
which use their influence to pressure the Christian church. So all the gods and the worship of Caesar and the power of the Jewish community to pressure the Christians, this was a church living under constant threat. This was the church in which Polycarp died just a few years after the writing of this passage at 86 years old, burned at the stake for his faith. He said, 86 years have I served Christ and he has never done me wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? That's where this church lived. And what do we learn by, from this church? In verse 9, we learn that they're suffering in three ways. One is affliction. The word there means persecution. And persecution is inflicting suffering with the purpose of intimidation. And so they were be constantly persecuted. They were known for their poverty. Here was a wealthy area and they were poor. There are some suggestions that to be a Christian meant that economic sanctions would be leveled against you, against whatever enterprise or business you were involved in, so that the church had been, had been pressured into poverty. And then slander, this at the hands of the Jews. And yet, here they stood. The seven letters to the churches in the book of Revelation, in almost every letter, the Lord has a criticism against the church before he blesses them. There is no criticism of the church of Smyrna. God says to them, you are rich. In verse 10, we see what he calls them to. Courage and faithfulness, courage and faithfulness. When Ceausescu was the head of Romania for 30 some years, he was very cruel and oppressive. He particularly took joy in persecuting the church. After he fell, Sam Camelason traveled to Romania for a series of gospel services throughout the oppressed churches of Romania. He recounts that at one church, there were so many people, not only was the church filled, but the back door was open and all the windows had been open so people could stand along outside and they could hear the preaching of the gospel. And he realized that as he was preaching, every so often there would be a great rumble or groan rise out of the congregation. And at first, he didn't know what was going on. And then he realized that every time he said the name Jesus, there would be a great corporate groan rise from the congregation, a great response. And after his trip, somebody asked him, what do you suppose that meant? And Sam Camelation said these words, when the last alternative option to Jesus Christ has been exploded and shown for its true 
bankruptcy, then the name of Jesus takes on an incredible allure and an unearthly power. And this Smyrna church clung to the name of Jesus with courage and with faithfulness. And in verse 10, we're told Jesus promised them a victor's crown. Now, they they would know what that meant. In that culture, when people would go to worship at these temples, they would wear a garland crown. And then if you were a, if you had been a, a, a city servant and they were going to honor you, they would put your emblem on a coin, but your, on your, your emblem would always have a garland crown upon it. And so bothering from that culture, Jesus is saying to them, and I will give you a victor's crown. Living in the jaws of the lion, facing affliction and persecution and slander, yet being called to courage and faithfulness, Jesus promises a victor's crown. What is this power? What is this power that in the midst of all this suffering and carnage and oppression, a small church would hold up the name of Jesus and not relinquish its place to any other threat. Most people don't know the name Boris Nikolaevich Kornfeld. He grew up as a Jewish doctor in Joseph Stalin's Russia and ended up in a prison camp. It didn't take much to get into a prison camp when Joseph Stalin was ruling Russia. Maybe all you said in a casual conversation with a neighbor was you weren't sure about this or that policy. The neighbor told somebody else, somebody else told an authority, and you ended up being rehabilitated in a prison camp. And so it was for uh, Boris Nikolaevich, a Jewish doctor, not a believer, a socialist, probably an atheist. But a funny thing would happen in these prison camps There are two groups of people that would have had nothing to do with each other. One were the socialists and the other were the Christians because the Christians had been czarists. And so a Jew felt that the czarist empires had been very, that had persecuted them and so they would have little to do with the Christian faith. But Stalin didn't care and so they all ended up in a prison camp together. And the the Christians kept talking about Jesus. Boris had a lot of time to think in the prison camp and he began to evaluate his own commitment to the socialism that Stalin had implemented and he decided if this was the result of it, he didn't want any part of that. But what do you replace it with? But he met a Christian and the Christian was always, like when they would sit down to meal, the Christian would recite the Lord's Prayer. 
And Boris kept hearing this believer reciting the Lord's Prayer day after day. Until one day laying in his bed, he recited it from memory. And it began to grip his soul until one day he realized he had become a Christian. Well, when he realized this, he became excited. And like some of the other Christians in the camp, he started telling others about this Jesus who he now believed in. He was a doctor, so he worked in the infirmary, and when patients would come in, he would tell them about this Jesus. It even changed how he looked at the world. He saw a guard steal food away from the starving prisoners, and he reported the guard. That was a dangerous thing to do because in the camp, people knew that stoolies, people told, who told them the guards often end up, ended up beaten, maybe even killed. One day, a man came in to the infirmary sick, so sick that part of the time he was delirious. But Boris Nikolaevich could not contain his desire to share the gospel about Jesus. And so he began to tell this young prisoner about Jesus, not even knowing if this prisoner could even comprehend half of what he was saying because he was delirious and then clear-headed, delirious again with a number of intestinal difficulties. He recited the Lord's Prayer to him. He told him about how Jesus had died on the cross for his forgiveness, about his resurrection. It was only a couple days later, while the prisoner, while this prisoner was still in the infirmary, that guards came running, and they discovered that Boris Nikolaevich had been bludgeoned to death on his cot. But this young sick prisoner, as he began to get well, could not shake what he had been told about Jesus. And he began to recite the Lord's Prayer. This young man became a Christian. And you and I, had I not been telling you, we've never, we never even heard of the name Boris Nikolaevich Kornfeld. But the young man he told his story to, his name was Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He became one of the greatest literary giants of all Russia, one of the most famous Christians in all of the world and the winner of the Nobel Prize for Literature. Now what's the point of that story? Joseph Stalin and his odious machine that controlled such a massive section of the world, and yet when that machine came into contact with the unshakable kingdom of God, it was the unshakable kingdom of God that won. And when the Roman Empire 
came into contact with the church of Smyrna, it was the declaration of that church that Jesus is Lord that won that battle. And in the midst of all the chaos that we are living in, when we may be tempted to fatalism, well, what's the point? We in this room must remind ourselves, as E. Stanley Jones says, we are part of the unshakable kingdom of God. And it is a triumphant kingdom. And the promise of Jesus to this church at the end was that despite the circumstances, victory would be theirs. We need only go slip into the Old Testament. And there was another kingdom, Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar, one of the great powers of the world, they had conquered Israel. And Nebuchadnezzar decided he wanted the cream of the crop to be brought back to Babylon to be trained and skilled and learn the ways of the Chaldeans. And then they could serve the Babylonian Empire. And three of those that came back were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they were educated and trained and prepared to serve the king in the king's court. Their friend Daniel had become a man of great influence and they were given regions to oversee. And then somebody got the idea that they should build a great statue to Nebuchadnezzar, gather all the people together and make them bow down and worship this statue. The statue was built, the Bible says, on a great plain. It towered over the plain. And the people were called. And the political leaders were called. And the people of influence were called. And as they gathered, they were instructed. As when the band sounded and the trumpets blared, everyone was to bow. Well, you know what? When everyone bows, it becomes pretty obvious who's standing. And as the crowd began to bow, look at there, oh, over in the corner, Shadrach is standing. Pretty soon, people are looking out of the corner of their eye and they see in the center of the crowd, there's Meshach is standing. And over here in this corner, well, there's another young man. He, Abednego is standing. They had to wonder, what's going to happen? Immediately, the guards, seeing these three who will not bow, gather them up and bring them before the king. The king would have recognized them. But he knew everyone was watching now, and so he threatened that you, you have to bow. You, you have to bow. And if you don't, I'm going to throw you into a fiery furnace. And then these declarations of three young men who knew that they were part of an unshakable kingdom. They said, King, we will not bow. And you can go ahead and throw us in that fiery furnace if you want. But our God is big enough to deliver us. But even if he doesn't. We will not bow. 
This season of turmoil is one of the greatest hours for the church of Jesus Christ. As the world trembles in the uncertainty that's going on, we get to be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We get to declare we are part of an unshakable kingdom whose leader and king is Jesus Christ. And this kingdom will stand when these troubles are gone. And that's where our citizenship lays. And that, the Bible says, is good news. And that's God's message to us this morning. From the life of the little church in Smyrna who knew it was part of an unshakable kingdom. Let's bow our heads as we finish this part of our series up. Father, we thank you that today you invite us to be part of that kingdom. We can step into that kingdom by simply declaring that we know we are sinners in need of a savior, by thanking Jesus for dying on the cross for us, by inviting him into our life and offering our life to him. We thank you that in these troubled times, we are part of a kingdom that does not tremble. And we praise the name of Jesus today. In his name we pray. Amen. If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast or follow us on social media. To learn more about our gathering times in Cheyenne, Wyoming, or to take your next step, visit our website, elementchurch.life. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you next week right here on the Element Church Podcast.